And here comes the commissioner. With the first pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Carolina Panthers select Cam Newton, quarterback, Auburn. The Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. The Indianapolis Colts select quarterback, University of Tennessee, Peyton Manning. Trayvon Walker, Trevor Lawrence, Marcus Russell, LSU. Miles Garrett, Andrew Luck, quarterback, Stanford. It's NFL Draft Day. 32 teams will make their picks over the next few days, and whether boom or bust, they will have a direct impact on each franchise's future. Time for the speculation to stop and the drama to unfold. It's Thursday, April 27th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. We have a fantastic interview on today's drama coming up. But first, let's take a look at how a bunch of guys in suits picking names became one of the most valuable sports media properties in the country. Here for a deep dive on that is Front Office Sports senior writer Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Great to be here, Owen. So where does this story of the NFL draft as a, a media property, a media circus, a huge event, where does that start for you? It's really an amazing story. For 40 years, the draft operated uh, in secrecy in hotel ballrooms. Nobody even thought of televising it. The idea was preposterous. Then in 1979, a little startup company by the name of ESPN was desperate for programming. So they threw a Hail Mary at the NFL, said, why don't we show the draft? Even Pete Rozelle, the media savvy commissioner of the NFL, had a one-word response. Why? Why would anybody watch a bunch of old guys in suits running around a hotel ballroom? But they did it, and it took off from there, and now it's one of the biggest weeks of the year. And it's gotten bigger right? in the last, say, decade, um, even as like college sports has gotten huge and stayed huge. And that's a big part of the story for me, too, is um, people know these players. And so they're excited to see where they go. They, they already have a favorite guy they're hoping their team gets. But um, but we've got so that element of it. But we also have how the draft itself has become this huge event that moves from city to city. It used to be in New York. So uh, what's the story there? Well, the, the draft has uh, evolved into really a Woodstock for football. As you put your finger on, it engages two massive fan bases: the NFL fan base, which is always looking for the next Patrick Mahomes, but also the college football fan base, who already knows all these players. Then they took it on the road. They made it a, a movable feast, bringing it from town to town. That made it only bigger and bigger. And then now you also have three networks, not one, three networks televising it to hundreds of millions of uh, viewers around the world. You've got ABC, which is the broadcast channel. You've got ESPN, which is doing it for the 44th year, and the NFL Network, which is doing it for the 17th year. So every year this thing gets bigger and bigger. Uh, there's more and more uh, interested in it. And, and I think the reason was uh, perfectly put in our feature this weekend. The draft is about hope, Owen. Everybody is hope on draft night, that this is going to be the night that the franchise is, is going to take off. Yeah. And there can be that element of the off season that it can even be more fun than the regular season because yeah, you get to be like the GM in your head. You get to like hope about you know, who, who you're, you're going to get. Uh, I think it's worth diving in a little further on the ESPN part of this because 
they have been identified with the draft in a way. And, you know, ESPN, is it's like the sports network. If you can think of one, it's ESPN. And yet they don't have many sports properties where it's like, this is an ESPN thing, but the draft is an ESPN thing. The draft was built by ESPN. I mean, the NFL has done a big job with it and a great job, but there wouldn't be an NFL draft on television if it wasn't for ESPN. They've done a great job building it. They've got Mel Kuyper Jr., who is the most recognizable and controversial and popular draft guru. And now you've got ABC, which is show, you know telling the college side of the story with Kirk Herbstreet. So, yeah, I mean, you put Disney and ESPN together, they really get an A-plus for what they've done with the draft over the decades. And looking to, to this draft, uh, what are you expecting from this one in terms of the the media production and, and the ratings for it? Well, I think the, the ratings are going to be way up. I mean, QBs drive the draft, Owen. Uh, this year, you have four or five terrific QBs that could go in the first round, as opposed to only one that went in the first round last year. QBs build excitement. They're like a Christmas morning for viewers. You know, they, they can't wait to unwrap their, unwrap their new Christmas present, which is this rookie QB. So I look for dra- uh, draft audiences maybe to go as high as $14 million on, on average this year from around $10 million last year. Right. And at that point, we're talking like this can be bigger than like the World Series, the NBA, NBA finals. Like like that's the scale we're talking about in terms of this audience. Exactly. I mean, uh, that's the average viewership. Uh, and we're talking about, uh, you know, the first round numbers. So, you know, obviously uh, by day three of the draft, the, the viewership goes down. But Thursday night is the big night. The NFL uh, was brilliant to move it to prime time in 2010 instead of daytime. That also increased the audience. So I'm looking for a big, big TV performance this year. All right. Fascinating stuff. Mike McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Owen. Let's see what else is happening out there. The Tennessee Titans have reached a deal for the largest public subsidy for a stadium in U.S. history. The National Metro Council approved funding of at least $1.26 billion for the $2.1 billion domed stadium slated to open in time for the 2027 season. The council debated for five hours before voting 26 to 12 in favor of the measure. The remaining $840 million will come largely from NFL loans and personal seat licenses, so the team is going to have to pay very little of its own money for a new $2 billion stadium. Good deal if you can get it. The new 60,000-seat stadium will be a potential host for the Super Bowl, college football playoffs, and NCAA Final Four games. Heading northwest to a similar, if smaller, situation, the Calgary Flames struck a deal with the city of Calgary and the province of Alberta to develop a new arena, a neighboring community rink where the Flames will practice, and other public amenities and infrastructure. The whole thing will cost around $880 million U.S. million, most of which will go toward the new arena, which will be the home of the Flames, the American Hockey League's Calgary Wranglers, the Western Hockey League's Calgary Hitmen, yes, that really is their name, and the National Lacrosse League's Calgary Roughnecks. And the UK has officially vetoed Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard, which at $69 billion was going to be the largest gaming deal in history. Microsoft is appealing the decision. Up next, I spoke to ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller on the big narratives, what we think we know and what we definitely don't know heading into this NFL draft. We'll have that conversation right after this.
Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com slash frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. I am joined now by ESPN draft analyst, Matt Miller. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Uh, second time in a, in a draft season. I'm honored. Uh, no, I appreciate your guys' time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great having you on. Always love your insights. So just first, before we get into the draft stuff, how is this week going for you? It is a crazy week. And it's one of those things you can see it coming on your calendar. You know, you see all the Google Calendar invites, and you know it's going to be a wild week. But it's also it's, it's weirdly energizing as well. It's kind of fun. You know, before I talked to you, I was on a, a radio station in Cleveland. Before that, I was on a podcast in Austin, Texas. And so it's kind of fun. You're doing like a little U.S. tour without ever having to leave your office. But uh, for me, as somebody who like truly loves the draft and it obsesses about it, it is a lot of fun to see how much it's grown and to be able to talk to different people from different parts of the country and different types of media outlets about the draft. So it's it's busy, but it's the best time of the year. And just to stay high level for a moment, how how do narratives shift from, you know, two weeks, three weeks before the draft up until the draft? Is it a lot of just people kind of like churning through different possibilities and permutations? Or is there news also that is is altering how you see things? Both. I really do think it's both. So I would say there's a lot of, I always call it dot connecting. So there's a lot of, you know, well, this could happen and that makes sense and so you start to like you're putting the puzzle together a little bit and so you start to see scenarios that make sense on the news side of things what happens you know right here close to the draft is nfl teams finally set their boards so an nfl team they'll get all their scouts together they'll do the draft meetings and they'll say all right here's here's how we're, we're going to stack the board so that thursday night when the draft starts we just start pulling those names off and we know who's left and as that happens that information gets out uh, because you know you have relationships with people and they know it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt their team for them to tell you like hey we have Bijan Robinson as our number one running back it's like okay so does everyone else that's fine but you know sometimes you do get information that's helpful and that you can again you can use it to complete that puzzle piece but this is the most unpredictable draft I've ever covered and I love that it's gonna make it exciting not just for me. But, you know, for everyone watching on television to have that real like drama of what's going to happen at the top of the draft. I feel like we've been missing that lately. We've had a lot of drafts where we kind of knew what was going to happen or um, you even if you didn't know the exact player, you knew what position a team was going to draft. But this year could be just wild. As soon as the Houston Texans come on the clock, it could be wild. So for that, I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah. And let's get into that. So where is that uncertainty coming from? that the Houston Texans have not signaled at all what they're going to do. And it's funny because, you know, God bless Twitter for all the good and bad that it is. But on Twitter, you have people who will say it's a big smoke screen. When you have the number two pick and the number one team has already, like they're going to take a quarterback, right? The, the Carolina Panthers will take a quarterback at one. The Houston Texans do not need to lie to anyone about what they're going to do because 
they control the clock. So I think that's what's funny about this time of year is people are so conditioned to trust nothing that they hear that even when you hear something that logically makes sense or is good information, people resist it because it's it's lying season essentially around the NFL. But uh, on that note, I will say I have not spoken to one person who works for an NFL team that believes the Texans will take a quarterback. Now, again, they could be executing the most pointless but well-run smokescreen in the history of the NFL draft. But as of now, it does not sound like they're going to draft a quarterback at two, which would be a massive surprise given that they have Davis Mills and Case Keenum as their only two quarterbacks on the roster. Um, they have an early round or an early pick in the round. You would expect that would be a quarterback like C.J. Stroud or Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. But all the, all the signs point to the fact that they're comfortable not drafting a quarterback, which, again, a month ago would have been a monumental surprise. And would it make any sense for them? I mean, are people talking about like them maybe trading that pick if, if it's maybe more valuable to someone else? I, yes, that is out there. The hard thing this year, I would say this about Houston at two and the Arizona Cardinals at three, you have to find someone who's willing to trade up. And that is lacking this year because it's it's not the best draft class of all time. It's not the worst, but it's also not the best. So there's not that urgency from teams to trade up. And I think also it's a unique draft in that the positions you would trade up for, quarterback, left tackle, defensive end, and cornerback, they all have a good stack of players. So like at left tackle. There are four tackles who will go in the first round. If you trade up for one, like the guy right behind him is not far off in terms of grade. There's wide receiver. There's one good wide receiver this year who has like a consensus top 15 grade, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. But he's not such an elite prospect that teams feel like they have to trade up to get him compared to the next wide receiver who will be off the board. So that's made it a pretty quiet trade market as of now. And the big narrative I've been hearing, the big obvious one, is that this is like a quarterback year. Like you've got three or four really strong quarterback prospects. Is that the big narrative for you going in? Absolutely. And I think we'll see five drafted in the first round. Obviously, Bryce Young is the favorite to go first overall. I do think that will happen. But then, you know, what happens with C.J. Stroud, um, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee being in that mix too, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, who we talked about a little bit earlier, so those five quarterbacks have a very realistic shot to be drafted in the top 25 picks. So a little bit of a throwback to 2021 when five quarterbacks went in the top 15. Um, you could argue that really only one of those has worked out in Trevor Lawrence. Um, so that's a nice little reminder for people that sometimes these players don't live up to our expectations. But uh, it, it is very quarterback driven. And in an odd way, it's quarterback driven, but we're not seeing that activity like we saw in 2021 for teams to trade up. I mean, the Jets traded up to two that year. The 49ers traded to three. Ultimately, the Bears traded to, I think, nine where Justin Fields was selected. Uh, and then the Patriots waited for Mac Jones at 15. But we're not seeing that type of trade activity this year, which is is really interesting. On Anthony Richardson specifically, what kind of range? It feels like he could be picked really early or yeah. people could just wait on him. Is he like the the most, say, polarizing figure there? I think so. Yeah. And it's funny. All the quarterbacks other than Bryce Young are pretty polarizing this year. But I think with Richardson, you hear from teams, someone could trade up to take him at three and it wouldn't be a surprise. He could also fall and it wouldn't be a surprise. You know, if he's there for the Tennessee Titans at eleven. Not a surprise. I talked to one person today that thought he could be there in the late teens. So there is a wide range for him. Uh, I would say an uncharacteristically wide range for a quarterback, especially in the first round. So uh, he is, you know, unlimited potential. I've never seen a quarterback prospect like him in terms of size, 
arm strength, speed, you know, running ability. He had two runs over 80 yards last year. Um, but also on the other side, someone who is so inexperienced, you know, 13 starts under 400 passes thrown. So for all the wow moments, there were a couple of games he was under 40% completion percentage as a passer. That's not all on him, but you're really trying to weigh the risk versus reward. And I think that is why he's seen as such a polarizing guy. What are the other big stories that you're seeing just heading into the draft? Yeah, I mean, obviously Houston at number two, we talked about that. Could they pass on a quarterback with this new regime coming in from the coaching ranks at least? Uh, And then I think Jalen Carter, uh, the defensive tackle from Georgia, you know, who was charged with some misdemeanor counts in connection with the the accident that claimed the lives of two people in Georgia. Where does he land? Because from a talent perspective, he's the best defensive tackle prospect in a long time on talent. But, you know, there are times he's not super motivated on tape. There are times that, you know, like it is pro day. He's nine pounds heavier than he was at the combine. He's not able to finish position drills. So there are a lot of question marks just about, you know, maturity and can you get the best out of him? What is the right situation for Jalen Carter to become the dominant player we've seen in spurts? And so where teams value that risk and reward is going to be really fascinating too. And are you getting a sense of how teams are handling that situation? Yeah, I think it's it's all over the place, honestly. I think there will be teams that are risk averse and or will say, hey, we don't have the right locker room chemistry to bring in a player like that right now. There are other teams where they'll say, we've got a good head coach, we've got a good defense coordinator, we've got some leaders in the locker room that are going to make sure that he's stays on track and that you know, sometimes we forget these guys in college are limited to 20 hours with the team every week. When you're a professional athlete, you that's your life. You know, it's it's a it's a full-time job plus some. So, I think with Jalen Carter it's a situation of okay, if we get him into the facility and there's a good environment, he can become that, you know, unlimited potential type player. It's just making sure you have the right locker room set up, the right, you know, kind of ecosystem for him to bloom. And before we let you go, any can I, can I get a pick out of you? Just anything you want to throw out there in terms of like beyond the first round pick, anything that that you're expecting. Uh, I one thing I can't wait to see what happens is Texas running back Bijan Robinson. We everyone when you talk to will say, well, you don't draft a running back in the first round, but but he's different. He's special. So I think it'll be fascinating. We haven't seen a running back drafted in the top twenty since Saquon Barkley. Bijan will will break that record on Thursday night. I have a good feeling about that. All right, Matt Miller, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thank you. With the first overall pick of the 2023 NFL Draft, the Carolina Panthers are on the clock. Let us know who you think will get drafted tonight at today at frontofficesports.com. That's it for today. Thank you for selecting this podcast with your number one overall pick. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the podcast service of your choice, and we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.